This is a spoiler warning. We are going to spoil the episodes discussed in the show. It's also a free-flowing discussion. We're going to spoil pretty much most of the show aired to date. Uh, we'll do our best not to spoil any of the big finish range other than the episode that's discussed, but you are warned. Problem is, Perry, we are faced with a conundrum wrapped up in a dilemma. Hello, and welcome to The Twin Dilemma, a Doctor Who fan podcast. Each week, we look at two episodes of Doctor Who. One is classic, one's a new Who. We compare them and tell you definitively which one is best. Those are the twins. That's the dilemma. I am your co-host, Fenric Lamar. And I'm your co-host, Edward Grove. And Edward, our theme this week is comic relief. Ha 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 ha! Oh my god, that's hilarious. Uh, not really, but uh, laugh it's anyway. Funny. It's funny. Laugh! <laughs> that's my normal laugh. Every other laugh you've ever heard on the podcast has been fake. Okay, uh, so you're saying that I'm not funny and that I can't get you to laugh? I mean, that, that shouldn't be news. <laughs> but no, this week we looked at several skits and short films that are all satirical uh, and funny and non-canonical. Yes, in a world of very muddy canon, you can go ahead and take a sigh of relief and know that there's not going to be any debate here. Nothing is canon that we're talking about today. <laughs> that is true. And we'll start it off with our entry from quote-unquote classic, The Curse of Fatal Death. You are doomed, Doctor. Doomed! You are piloting your TARDIS into a deadly trap, and even you will not suspect until it's far too late. <laughs> you know, if you're going to spy on me, you really should turn the speaker off. In this comic relief special from 1999 and written by Stephen Moffat, the Master confronts a different Ninth Doctor, played by Rowan Atkinson on the planet Terceris. What starts as an evil plot turns into a total farce as rival Time Lords compete to show off their abilities to use time travel to stack the odds in their favor. So, Edward, what do you think of The Curse of Fatal Death? I love it, other than the fact that I thought it was called something else for uh, probably four years now. <laughs> yeah, I just learned the proper title this morning. Yeah, even my notes say Curse of the Fatal Death. I think it rolls off the tongue a little bit easier. Yeah. Uh, so now I hate it. <laughs> okay, I can see that. But why don't you uh, give a little bit of background about this for people who don't know anything? Sure. So Comic Relief, uh, they used to make a lot of uh, specials for different types of BBC shows. So this is one of those skits. The very first televised Doctor Who story written by Stephen Moffat. Yeah, so it's yeah. very noteworthy in that way. This was around the time he was working on his show Press Gang. Oh, this is Press Gang, so pre-coupling even. So it's got a lot of his early writing flavor. Very... That was his first big show, Press Gang. I believe so, yeah. yeah. Kind of weird. Uh, Rowan Atkinson is playing the Ninth Doctor, so this is taking place after the Eighth Doctor. Yeah, sort of, seemingly. <laughs> and then we've also got Jonathan Price playing the Master. For anyone who hasn't seen this, you know, it's, it's sort of notorious. I think most people have seen it, but, you know, a lot of the other random comedy skits and things like that. Although this one's very high production value, so it's, it has extra reason to take notice of it. Um, other ones sort of get lost track of. In case you haven't seen it or heard of it, you can go ahead and watch this for free on YouTube, both through Comic Relief and through, I believe the BBC has an official channel just called like Doctor Who, where they host it. 
So it's available. Go check it out. It's about 20 minutes long. And it was originally produced in four parts, but uh, pretty much all the videos now have been edited down to two. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's weird it's in parts at all. It's like one episode length. Yeah, I assume that, you know, they did their special and like they aired the first half at the beginning of the day and the second half at the end. I feel like they did it in parts just because they got to use the titles and shit. Because <laughs> seeing the like Rowan Atkinson face at the beginning is fun. And that's weird. Uh, we'll, we'll dip into it pretty deep already. But at the end, he regenerates. And he regenerates. Uh, and he regenerates. And he regenerates. <laughs> uh, so there's five total actors in this, correct? I believe I have that count right. There's five total actors playing the doctor in this. So I, I've never seen one where it's the original four parts. So I'd be interested to see, is Rowan Atkinson's still, face still on there at the beginning of part four when he's probably not playing the doctor anymore? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen it cut up like that either. I bet he is, because I bet the fourth part starts before all the regeneration stuff starts. Could be, yeah. But the fourth part starts as they're tied up in the Dalek ship. Okay, so that brings us right into to something I wanted to talk about. It's actually weird thinking about it now that Stephen Moffat was the person who introduced fart humor to Doctor Who. Yeah. The planet Tesserus, once home to the Tesserans, the most kindly and peace-loving race I've ever encountered, and yet the most shunned and abhorred species in all history. Why? They could communicate only by precisely modulated gastric emission. Oh no! Planet of the bottom burgers. So the humor in this is really crazy because when you watch it, it's pretty clear this thing is written more so for adults than it is for children. Certainly more than the regular show was. I mean, some of the best examples of that are the whole Dalek bumps thing. Sure. The master goes through this transformation where he's enhanced by Daleks. Once again, I have been augmented by superior Dalek technology, rejuvenating my physical form and granting me even more power over the cosmos. And I notice breasts. And a little bit after that, he gets into a bit of a, a repartee with the doctor's companion, Emma, where he talks about them being firm. <laughs> and then later, Richard E. Grant pops up and just calls him tits. <laughs> well, I thought the, the most adult part was... So the, the final regeneration, the 13th Doctor is a woman, played by Joanna Lumley, and she pulls out her screwdriver and it's straight up a vibrator. But see, that at least requires knowledge. You need to know what a vibrator is for that joke That's to fair. make sense. That's fair. You're just saying tits and breasts. <laughs> There's no way Doctor Who can make a joke anywhere in that territory. You know, Doctor Who made a cunnilingus joke in The Good Man Who Goes to War, but you have to be on some next level shit to get it. And just, just being older than 15, you mean? I didn't get it the first time I saw it. That's true, yeah. It's too abstract. And the second time I saw it, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> but Richard E. Grant just says tits. You can't say tits on Doctor Who. But at the same time, going back to the fart humor, it has the most juvenile sense of humor that was ever in the show. Yes. I mean, I still think the fart humor in this is more acceptable than it is with, say, the Slovene. There's a guy spitting shit out of his mouth. That is the part where it goes too far. Yeah. The master falls into a sewer and it takes what, it's like 400 years or something to crawl yeah, out of it. Yeah, it's up to 600 years after the third push. Yeah, so I guess it must be 200. Yeah. And I think it's after the second time he gets out, he just spits shit out of his mouth. We watch him spit up shit on television <laughs> for children or whatever the hell Comic Relief does. Oddly, this will not be the only story we talk about today involving somebody eating shit. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. yeah good point. <laughs> <laughs>
But so uh, you mentioned in your synopsis that this involves sort of dueling time lords about who can time travel better. So that really starts to kick in right towards the beginning. The Doctor and the Master have agreed to meet on this planet where the Doctor's going to break some news to the Master. He's going to tell him that he's going to quit. And they end up getting into this massive uh, sort of ludicrous time travel argument. Naturally, I anticipated your journey back in time. And so I traveled slightly further back and bribed the architect first. Or so you think. Naturally, I anticipated your traveling back in time. So I traveled back in time to an even further point. And I actually think the timey-wimeyness of that is probably the best indicator, maybe the only real indicator from this, of what Stephen Moffat's actual vision for running Doctor Who would look like. Yeah, that's a good point, because that's that's definitely a really heavy component of it. You know, it, it, it is just a thing with New Who is that they started to trust their audience more to be able to stay on board. And maybe that is because they're showing them a, a whole story all in one night, as opposed to over the course of four or six or eight nights. And I also think to realistically look at the powers that are available in the show and say, well, why don't they do this? And to experiment with those actions and the consequences of those actions, rather than say, let's come up with a reason they don't do that to make it easier to write the story. I want to ask you something because we haven't really talked about it yet. And this is a comic relief story. Do you think it's funny? I do think it's funny, but I also think it falls on its face. I don't know, 30% of the time. Okay. I find myself coming back and rewatching it, I don't know, every couple of years or so. Yeah. It does bring me joy. It's There's some really solid jokes in it, but a lot of it doesn't date that well. Yeah. I mean, honestly, brings me joy may be a better description because there are like, there are a number of jokes where I think they're really good jokes. Like um, at one point, Emma and the companion are escaping the master and they run through the exact same corridor twice. And Emma says in a very deadpan way, These corridors all look the same! I don't think I've ever gotten that joke before. Oh, it's it's a really good one. And I love that it's like, whew, just like straight down, you know, no, no camp to it. Right, yeah. And that's very like pointed in a very fun way. And I think that's a, a genuinely clever and genuinely funny joke. I think uh, Stephen Moffat does a good job of doing like 50-50 here of comedy that anybody could get and also comedy that's like, this is a joke for... Doctor Who fans. For example, they, they, they have a running gag. So, given that exterminating you would be the most sensible thing to do, why do they always change their minds at the last moment? I'll explain later. It's both a legitimately funny joke, but also it's got this sort of, for me, extra funny twinge of irony to it now that that's almost an actual mantra of the Moffat era. <laughs> <laughs> And then whenever he has to finally foot the bill, because he's been showrunner so long, and he has to come back and explain, it's it, it's sort of a sorry experience. Yeah. But to go back to something you said earlier, there is like definite evidence that Stephen Moffat had some cool ideas for the show. Oh, absolutely. There's, yeah. there's lines in this that are directly reincorporated into the show. For example... They believe that the Doctor is dying for good. Uh, this is Hugh Grant now playing the Doctor, which was insane. But yeah. <laughs> he's, he's lying there on the ground dying, and his companion says... He was never cruel and never cowardly, and it'll never be safe to be scared again. And Stephen Moffat essentially made that be the Doctor's mantra. That is the reason he calls himself the Doctor. It's a promise he keeps to himself. There's another line as well that is in there and then gets repeated later, which is just straight up cannibalizing a very good joke from here. Again, as the as the Doctor's dying. Look after the universe for me. I've put a lot of work into it. 
I believe it's actually a miniseries, but it's like the prologue for series nine. Capaldi says those exact words to, I, I forget her name. It's the leader of the Sisterhood of Karn, Olia, Ohilia. Well, that's actually said earlier, even. Uh, that's said uh, on the rooftop in the 11th hour. But it's like a slight variation, though. I feel like uh, he's not, talking about he's talking about Earth. Yeah, it's like not, not the, the universe. exact same line. But yeah, that's a, that's a great line, and I took note of that as well. He couldn't resist. He was like, only a few million saw that one. <laughs> Let's scoop it up. Enough time has gone by, they won't notice. So let me ask you a question here. We see a nice array of doctors at the end. If you could scoop one of those doctors up and actually watch, and you could include Rowan Atkinson in this, you could actually watch a season, a classic season with any of those doctors, who would you pick? This is a weird answer because we've talked about him before and how his performance wasn't that great. <laughs> but I love Richard E. Grant's doctor in this. I would love to watch more of him. You like a weird molesty doctor that just likes to come out the gate licking things and talking about how sexy he is? <laughs> well, to me, what's interesting about him is that Rowan Atkinson feels very classic Doctor Who in this. And then the moment he turns into Richard E. Grant, he actually feels kind of like a new Who doctor. He's bouncing around the room. He's very Matt Smithy. I wouldn't pick Rowan Atkinson, but I love that he's so known for Mr. Bean and everything, right? And he delivers the most staid, least camp, most naturalistic <laughs> performance in this entire thing. Yeah. He barely cracks a smile. All right. So we know who you won't pick. Who would you pick? Part of me is really tempted to pick Jim Broadbent. Because I think he would be more different than just about any other doctor we'd ever get. He was he was written genuinely to be a really different doctor. Yeah, he he he's kind of shy. Yeah, he's like a, he's afraid of women, as he, <laughs> as he says. Seem to be a bit shy of girls now. One of the problems of changing personas so unpredictable. <laughs> and a lot of the other doctors, like as you said, Richard E. Grant, he has a lot of charm that we see in New Who doctors. Hugh Grant's kind of the same guy, but it's a little bit like more of an inherent English bashfulness, like you put a big dose of Peter Davison in him. You know what I mean? Honestly, I didn't think there was enough time to really get to know who who he was supposed to be. I agree. Yeah, He's I only got like two lines. Although I got to say, in, in terms of actual real estate, I don't know how much more Jim Broadbent had. He was just written really to the point. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I would pick Jim Broadbent because that'd be nuts. That'd be cool to see. He's like afraid of his companion the whole time. Do you, do you bumble around? Sign me up for one one season. I want to How would he out. even get a companion? Would They would have to insist themselves upon him. It'd be thrust. It'd be like rape. <laughs> it'd be a non-consensual companion. That'd be the name of his first uh, uh, serial. The non-consensual companion. <laughs> I'd watch that. Oh, we'd, we'd watch the shit out of that. We have to rename the podcast. <laughs> now that we've discussed the curse of fatal death... It's time for some trivia. This is the only parody story to be featured on Doctor Who magazine's cover, not once but twice, as well as being covered in their archives section, which is usually reserved for discussion of actual classic series. I can understand why. I mean, sometimes I imagine Sylvester McCoy and Colin Baker watching this and just being kind of upset because it feels like it had more money and higher production value than <laughs> basically any story they ever had. Speaking of which... Oh, no. You might be surprised to learn that the TARDIS sets and Dalek props were not BBC property. They were all provided by fans who built them for a fan film called Devious, which never got released. It was supposed to be starring John Pertwee before the events of Spearhead from Space. Was John Pertwee going to be in it? 
Yeah, there's like screenshots you can see from it. And actually, they uh, they took some recordings of him from this movie that never got really finished and used them in the the audio Zagreus by That's Big Finish. That's amazing. They've got to release whatever footage they have. There is a documentary that you can watch, also called Devious, which is about like the making of it and how it's never going to come out. And it's on one of the DVDs. Sorry, I can't remember which which story. Wow, that's really fascinating. This is the final story to feature the performances of Roy Skelton, Doctor Who's longest-serving Dalek voice actor. Huh. Yeah. Has Nicholas Briggs not taken his throne yet? I gotta assume it's coming pretty yeah. soon, right? It's coming for you, Roy. Well, I want to know, like, do they count... Big Finish? N- yeah. Oh, he was also doing the audiovisuals for that, if you count any of that shit. But that's not a BBC Fuck. production. This is just getting nerdier and nerdier. <laughs> Richard E. Grant would appear several more times in the show, both as yet another Ninth Doctor in Scream of the Shalka. If you want to hear our discussion on that, you can listen to Episode 8, New Beginnings as well as also playing Dr. Simeon and eventually the Great Intelligence in Series 7. Yeah, I couldn't help but think he's got to feel really weird about how much almost the Doctor he is. (laughs) (laughs) He's so close. So close. He's gotten to participate in the show, and it seems like he likes the show, so. Which I feel like would be hard. (laughs) (laughs) It's like an abusive girlfriend. It's like Nicholas Briggs. Nicholas Briggs really wants to be the Doctor, and it's like, no... We That's like true. you, but you're not the doctor. But Nicholas Briggs at least has a fiefdom. <laughs> like he's tried to steal it? No, like Big Finish is his own little fiefdom that he gets to just run shit and he gets to be the doctor and is an un- unbound every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> this is also not the only time Jim Broadbent played the doctor, as he also appeared in a spoof sketch for the series Victoria Wood. Don't know anything about it. Exactly. Yep. I, I I don't know anything about that show, but uh, there you go. You can see more Jim Broadbent Doctor. I bet it's not the same guy. It's probably not. It's not written by Stephen Moffat, you know? Fuck it. The planet Terceris, which is featured very heavily in this story, was actually mentioned previously in the show. In the story The Deadly Assassin, we learn that this is where the Master was found, melting into his goopy form at the end of his last regeneration. Do you think he chose a poop planet from an episode with ass in the name twice, <laughs> deliberately? <laughs> I hope so. Why didn't uh, Russell T. Davies take the final step and just have the Slitheen be from, like, the planet next door to Terceris? Or just have the Master regenerate into a pile of shit? (laughs) I mean, they've come pretty close. (laughs) I'm referring to... Your feelings about women in general? I was going to say Eric Roberts as a joke. (laughs) That meant nothing, but uh, that's pretty good. (laughs) This was the last time this particular TARDIS prop, known as Mark II, was used. It served as the 5th, 6th, and 7th Doctor TARDISes. This was not provided by fans then, the TARDIS console. That is correct. This was the actual TARDIS used on set through the 80s. That makes a little bit more sense. Did you notice how the... uh the central rotor was just thrusting like crazy. I, For some reason, I thought that was really funny this time when I watched it. I'd actually never noticed it before, and uh, it's very phallic and very amusing. <laughs> because both his and the Master's TARDISes are doing it like yeah, almost perfectly timed. Yeah, yeah. just like... <laughs> <laughs> Hugh Grant, I didn't know this, Hugh Grant was actually offered the part of the Ninth Doctor before Christopher Eccleston, but turned it down. I guess that makes sense. He was too big already. Yeah. I, I don't know why they even bothered to offer it to him. Like That's probably why it was an offer. Not like, you know, come in and talk about it or have an audition or anything. It was just like, please 
would you consider? <laughs> yeah, he he has since said that he kind of regrets not taking it, but wishes that the show would write him in as like a recurring villain. That makes sense. His, uh, his film career has gone downhill. Yeah. Had that whole hooker thing. Stephen Moffat told Doctor Who magazine about this special. His intent was to make a genuine episode of Doctor Who that just happened to be funny. He wanted it to seem to be a genuine continuation of the story, which is kind of insane when you think about it. Yeah, like, like, I feel like that was probably something he told himself before he started writing it, and then he started writing it, and the impulse to make it funny took over, and it became not that. I like the idea that he's like, well, let's make sure that it makes sense with all the canon. Yeah. But then I don't like the idea that he's like, this is what the show actually is, and then finishes the Doctor's Regenerations. Well, I feel like the reason he would have thought that way is because I bet from his perspective, the show is never coming back. And, you know, there's that line where Emma is talking and says, you know, you're like Santa Claus and you're so silly and we love you. And I think that's Moffat talking to the show, saying how much he loves it. And he probably viewed like this was his opportunity to put as much Doctor Who real estate down as possible. I suppose. And he was wrong. Then he'd have way more time to ruin the show. Just kidding. <laughs> so I, I, do, I do like using Stephen Moffat. And if you are interested in that, there is a popular fan theory that basically something happened in the Time War that split the timeline in three different directions. One is, of course, what we know on the TV show. One is the Shalka Doctor. And one is this storyline. One of my least favorite fan theories. It's so pointless. <laughs> yes. Just enjoy things. They don't all have to be canon. It's uh, as stupid as the idea that David Tennant turns into Peter Cushing's Doctor Who. Uh, I don't know. I think this one's stupider. That one, it's like it's got some merit, like they're trying to fill a gap. No, it it doesn't. There's no gap here. They make no sense. They both make equally no sense. There's no gap in Peter Cushing's Doctor Who, and David Tennant doesn't look anything like that. No, he really doesn't. We're done with this. And with that taken care of, we'll move on to our quote-unquote new who episode this week the five-ish doctors reboot doctor who production office hi my name is peter davison it was uh, doctor number five actually in the classic era way back in the day still alive and kicking though you know <laughs> anyway i just wanted to make sure that you had my mobile number just in case Stephen or anybody wanted to get in touch 50th anniversary special and all that. Didn't you call yesterday? Well, yes, I, I, I may have called yesterday. No, you did call yesterday. And the day before that? On the eve of the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who, three aging doctors decide they will stop at nothing to be included in the TV special in this short film written and directed by Peter Davison. Davison is joined by Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy in a cameo-packed adventure through, or at the very least, near the world of Doctor Who. All right, so tiny bit of background. First of all, if you haven't seen this, I believe the BBC does actually have it available on their website where you can watch it in its entirety. Otherwise, it's only available on home video on the 50th anniversary special edition box set, mega set, motherfuck thing that has all the 50th stuff together with an adventure in space and time and all that jazz. I don't think an adventure in space and time is on there, is it? Yeah, I believe it has everything that was released for the 50th altogether. This is like the special edition box set. Because I, I have the reg- I think I have the regular 3D Blu-ray, and it's got this on there, but I don't think it has an adventure. The special edition has adventure as well. Oh, fuck. Maybe I, missed, <laughs> maybe I got some shitty version that missed out. But if you're unfamiliar with it, Peter Davison has a history with the show of uh, writing and directing these sort of shorts that are taking place sort of adjacent to Doctor Who or in the sort of behind-the-scenes world of Doctor Who, frequently parodying figures uh, from the show. And this one... As the synopsis said, is about 
the classic doctor's attempts to get in the 50th anniversary special. Yes. And uh, it's the closest we'll ever get to Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, and Peter Davison just having a sitcom yes. where they just live in an apartment together. I wrote that down that it feels like a pilot to a sitcom that I wish would exist. I, I would love the fuck out of that show. It's like a very, very Doctor Who nerdy episode of extras. <laughs> Yeah. And they're, in a way, playing characters that you can tell are probably not who they really are, but they're playing into what fans think of them. Yeah, they're send-ups of themselves. Exactly. Basically, everybody in the story is playing that. Everybody's playing an exaggerated. Because this is filled with cameos. You can't imagine. So So many goddamn people. Everybody's a cameo, basically. Carol Ann Ford is in this for like a second. Uh, Janet Fielding is in this. Janet Fielding, unbelievably right? Janet Fielding is in it for what, like five seconds? And she has one of the funniest lines where basically Peter Davison is imagining her in his like thoughts about wanting to be in the 50th. And she says this. You're dreaming, Pete. They're not going to call you. They're not going to call any of you. They don't want you, Pete. Get up and walk the dog, Pete. Walk the dog! Yeah, the rest of his dream is all people who are just talking about how amazing he is. And he has good old Tegan come back to shit on his chest. <laughs> you know, before that, it's like Jenna Coleman standing there in a hallway going, You were always my mother's favorite. And then backing up, You were always my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, I love that he just has Tegan come in and just be like, Nope. The sheer amount of people that they got together for this, Matt Smith cooperated, Stephen Moffat cooperated. Probably the coolest cameo is Russell T. Davies shows up at the end. It's so funny. So I want to talk about that in a bit, but I got to jump back. So all these cameos, so many cameos, I've got two questions. Okay. And they're all send-ups of their own personality, right? Who do you think is the closest to their real personality? And who do you think is the least like their real personality? Well, so for closest, it's kind of a weird answer because basically there's a joke that at one point they're all talking about calling up Tom Baker and seeing if he wants to get in on this little plan they've got. And it just cuts to that that shot that they used in The Five Doctors and he just gets sucked up in one of those time warp things. You can tell that Tom Baker still participated because he's got this voicemail that goes like this. Greetings, greetings, greetings. Well, I seem to be stuck in the sodding time vortex again. So I can't assist you. Just one of the many regrets of my life. Goodbye, my dears. But it's still like playing into that joke of Tom Baker wouldn't participate in something like this. But I bet you they like called up Tom and they were like, hey, we know you don't want to do this, but just just record one line for us <laughs> next time you're in the Big Finish studio. Yeah, we'll hear a bit more about Tom Baker's participation in trivia. Oh, interesting. I was a little worried about this one about, uh, you know, you, we, we talk a lot about how I step on your trivia, but I feel like this this is nothing but trivia. No, this is uh, 30 minutes of trivia, so don't, <laughs> don't sweat it. Yeah. As for the one that's least close, well, I mean, it's got to be John Barrowman, right? Oh, John Barrowman, just because of that. <laughs> <laughs> just because it turns out he's secretly uh, straight the and has a family. Yeah, sight gag. So here's the thing. I think John Barrowman might actually be one of the closer ones. Because of the part where he gives everyone his CDs. And the idea of him like singing the whole way, the whole driving way, between London and Cardiff. I Cardiff. feel like that's him sending himself up to a T and knowing that. <laughs> you see those pictures of him having fans grab his ass and stuff like that. Like, yeah. I weirdly think the least like themselves, and this one I think kind of is cheating, like doesn't really count, is, is Nicholas Briggs. 
That's fair, because he's playing like a Dalek operator. Yeah. Like, Nicholas Briggs is a lot of things you could self-parody about him. He's a nerd. He's got like a really, really big personality. And he's just sitting there really chill with a newspaper. They made this, obviously, it's got a lot of stuff in there for people who are like diehard fans to be like, that's, you know, I get that. Yeah. And I think the idea of Nicholas Briggs making an appearance, of course, would bring joy to those people. But I also think that they thought maybe there's a lot of people who don't know who he is. It's true. It wasn't really written as Nicholas Briggs. So I'll, I'll, I'll change my answer. I'll say, I'll say most accurate is Peter Davison. <laughs> <laughs> that seemed very much like Peter Davison. And I bet it drives him nuts when people say Peter Davidson. <laughs> I bet it happens all the time and he wrote that in there. There's a very short scene with him where he's signing photos for fans and a fan comes up and drops a photo of, uh, or she's wearing a, a Tom Baker t-shirt. Yes. And you can see that that annoys him. And, you know, we went to Gallifrey one a couple months ago and I essentially did the same thing to Lala Ward and I could tell <laughs> she was mad at me where I put down a fourth doctor print for her to sign. Yeah. And, uh, and she stabbed you actually. She did. Yeah. But you understood. It's fine. Blood for blood. Uh, she's yeah. a she's a tough woman. And it's just, you know, it's the law of the street. <laughs> and then least like themselves, uh, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go Sylvester McCoy. Okay. I think in real life, he's too focused on entertaining everybody all around him. So the, his joke, like his character in this is that at the time he was filming The Hobbit and it yeah. was like his first big role in a long time. Yes. I bet that's exactly what he was like at the time. I bet he would talk about it a lot. But I think, for one thing, I think part of what's so great about all these people setting themselves up so much is that the fact that they were so comfortable doing it, you can tell they're actually really nice people. You know, when you go to these cons and you listen to interviews with these people, a lot of times they refer to Doctor Who as a family. Yeah. And it's like you really get that feeling in this, that they're all, you know, there's like John Barman walks past... And Peter Davison just goes, hi, John. And he goes, hi, Pete. Yeah. Like, it's like they, they all just know each other. Yeah. Talking about the, the Hobbit and talking about, like, crazy cameos. Fucking Sir Ian McKellen is in this. It's so weird to just watch him in full Gandalf regalia. <laughs> First of all, being an amazing actor and then just shitting on Sylvester McCoy. <laughs> he's talking to Peter Jackson. And Peter Jackson has a line that I think is so funny where he's just describing to Sir Ian McKellen who Sylvester McCoy is. And he says... A uh, little bloke. Bird poo. Yeah. <laughs> Classic Sylvester McCoy. I never knew before this came out that Peter Davison had such a talent for, like, funny writing. Yeah, but he's done a bunch of these skits. This is by far the best of the ones that I've seen. We haven't talked at all about another doctor who appears in this, which is Paul McGann. Yes. I think it's weird that he's, like, credited in the beginning. Yes, yeah. I get the idea that he's, like, part of their team, but it's, like, really just for this one joke. Whatever it is you're planning, I'm in. Work permitting, obviously. Which I love that joke, by the way. I love when it's just uh, Sylvester and Colin sitting in the room watching him in the corner reading a script, and they're just talking about him. It's so funny. I want to ask you a question about that. Later on, when they're out protesting, there's a line. What's happened to Paul? Filming commitments. Typical. TV. Don't start. Which is, uh, you know, a funny joke because he's trying to diminish whatever he's doing because he's like, it's not The Hobbit. <laughs> but, so, do you think Paul McGann's disappearance is a deliberate nod to the fact that he was initially in and then he got the call to work on Night of the Doctor and so he was out? Oh, I never put that together. And that joke about, what is it, TV? 
like TV, wink, wink. He's working on Night of the Doctor. That is a nice little connection. I, I, I never thought about that. There is one thing, like, it really surprises me how when Peter Davison came up with the idea to make this weird thing. Mm-hmm. And he, he must have come to Stephen Moffat and said, can I make this thing? And Stephen Moffat said, yes. But then Stephen Moffat also must have like let him in on like a lot of the secrets of the 50th. Yes. Because yeah. there are actual lines from the 50th when they're like on the set. You can mm-hmm. hear John Hurt speaking the lines that would eventually be in the special. Yeah, it gets really exciting once the doctors have actually infiltrated the set of the 50th. Yeah, uh, Peter Davison has this line when they're investigating the new TARDIS console and they're all kind of offended by it. <laughs> look at this, look, you lean on it, nothing happens. Doesn't wobble at all. I used to love the old wobble. That's actually a line that it's something he got it from, something he said to his wife the night before when he was unable to maintain an erection. <laughs> I don't know if you know that. She tries to lean on it? Yeah, I should have saved it for trivia. It's massive, <laughs> to his credit, useless, but massive. <laughs> To be honest, I always just assumed his penis was like a giant stalk of celery. Yeah, it is. Okay. But like, you know, celery, it's in the fridge too long. goes a little wobbly. Sure. You don't know that. You don't eat celery. I don't eat celery. <laughs> Never eaten a piece of celery I went with life. it. <laughs> I was like, that sounds right, maybe. I can see the look in your eyes of just pure vacancy of just like, what even is a celery? <laughs> I wanted to bring up, I thought it was interesting, you know, we literally just watched for our previous discussion, Remembrance of the Daleks. And I never noticed before, there's a reference to it in this. Yes. When uh, when Colin Baker hands Sylvester McCoy some sugar and they do a repeat of that little discussion about sugar. Every great decision creates ripples. And your tea? Like a big boulder dropping into a lake. Well, Sylvester, if you don't stop quoting yourself, I'll put you back on the plane myself. And I love that he gets some of the dialogue wrong and then goes, I got a bit of it wrong, actually. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah, they all get their little, their little nods. So you mentioned it earlier. We've got to talk about it briefly. At the very end, we've got the Russell T. Davies cameo. Yes. He's basically leaving voicemails for Peter Davison in the same way that Peter Davison was doing to Stephen Moffat earlier. Yeah, it's structured as somehow he is the most pathetic character in the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> and he really makes me laugh. I become the Doctor. I'm a Time Lord and I could have a catchphrase. I could have a great catchphrase. Like, my catchphrase could be kill Dommage. Like... Kill Dommage, like, kill Dommage, Davros. Like, and I could, like, instead of, like, having a sonic screwdriver, I could have, like, boom, they come out of my eyes, like, sonic, like, kill Dommage, Davros. I, I really like uh, when he says, maybe all you guys die and I'm just left alone. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I love me some Archie D, and he is, he is just great in that scene. Yeah, I love that he got to participate in the 50th in some way. So we've got to discuss... The undergallery scene. Yes. And so this is the scene where seemingly in an attempt to hide after, you know, they infiltrate it by being Daleks, but that scene gets cut. They hide under sheets and are potentially in the 50th as Zygons hidden as statues in the undergallery. And I got to ask you, when you watch the 50th, do you ever try to like convince yourself it's really them? I try so hard. (laughs) There'll be a little bit of trivia where we discuss that and what information is available about it. But all I will say is I want it to be true. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. I try and like pick out which one I think is which actor. (laughs) There aren't really any short ones, which is like... Shh. (sighs) So finally, to wrap this discussion up, I've got a very important question for you. 
Mary fuck kill Davis and Baker McCoy. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I would marry Peter Davison because I think he would be the actual nicest one to to be. Well, no, I, I take it back. I would marry Sylvester McCoy because he would entertain me till the day I died. You know that's true. First of all, uh, you know enough about me to know I'm marrying Sylvester McCoy for sure. For me, it's easy. Marrying McCoy, killing Davison, fucking Tom Baker. Tom Baker. <laughs> why, why is he in the middle? You want to fuck Colin Baker? I'll fuck Colin Baker. I'll He's easily the least attractive. Yeah, but I want to kill Peter Davison. Why? <laughs> to say I did it. <laughs> no, I, I would do. Uh, I would uh, fuck Peter Davison and kill Colin Baker. The honest reason is because I want the Sixth Doctor audios to continue more. <laughs> That's a that's a fair point. Yeah, I I'm afraid of after I kill Con Baker, or will people be like he must have really hated the Sixth Doctor, and I don't. Yeah, I I want to uh, hold up Peter Davison's severed head to Georgia Moffat and say now I am become something. I feel like if you know, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if uh, David Tennant married her and became the Doctor, like I feel like if I kill her dad, it's got to mean something. Sure, <laughs> I've got to get in the universe somehow. <laughs> Yeah, they'll cast you as a villain once you get out of prison. Yeah, I'll be the next master. Ooh, better start working on that uh, goatee. Now that we've discussed the five-ish Doctors reboot, time for some trivia. As referenced earlier, Peter Davison did in fact write a scene for Tom Baker. But in a sadly typical fashion, Tom Baker did not respond to his emails. The voice that you heard was not Tom Baker. That was an impersonator. No way! Yeah. As such, Davison used a clip from the unfinished episode Shada to explain his absence exactly as had been done in The Five Doctors. It still works as a great joke. It still works. It's a great joke. If anything, it's it's sort of funnier that they had to do that. <laughs> but yep, he didn't write back to the emails. That's not Tom Baker. That's hilarious. <laughs> Fucking Tom Baker. <laughs> the short was incredibly well received with good ratings and reviews as well as being nominated for a Hugo Award. So much so that there have been many rumors of a sequel. At one point in 2014, Paul McGinn even stated that production had begun on the sequel, though this was later contradicted by Colin Baker, claiming that while they were all more than willing to participate, Peter Davison was waiting for an idea or event worthy of a follow-up. Honestly, just, I'll give you the money, Peter Davison. Make a sitcom. I'll watch the shit out of that. The $12 budget this had. No, I just, I, I really just want them to have a sitcom where it's just about them as aging actors together. Yeah, that would be amazing. All right, so this is definitely I'm gonna I'm gonna watch Fenric's face for as he tries to dispute this. The most pedantic count for how many doctors technically are in this short film is eight. Four, five, seven, eight, ten, eleven, as well as audio of the war doctor from Day of the Doctor. I'll allow it. I was expecting more pedantry. I had the next line saying, this is not counting Nicholas Briggs, whose non-canonical doctor performances could bring the count to nine. Yeah. Georgia Moffat is seen eating ice cream with a stick of celery, a vegetable associated with the fifth doctor, if you didn't know that. I just love, when I saw that, I was like, I love the idea that Peter Davison is behind the camera being like, all right, you're my daughter. Just eat the grossest fucking thing you can imagine. I thought about that too. Like I know pregnant ladies sometimes have weird urges, but if she wasn't having that particular urge, that must have sucked. <laughs> Colin Baker makes multiple references to his real-life 2012 appearance on the British reality series I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, a show where celebrities live in a supposed jungle for three weeks until one is crowned the winner. 
both its existence and Colin Baker's participation in this program make me sad. <laughs> Especially because, like, I mean, I'm sorry, Colin, but you're not really a celebrity anymore. <laughs> I think that's kind of a theme on that show. Oh, yeah. I'm an ex-celebrity. Stephen Moffat's otherwise somewhat inexplicable dream sequence is a reference to the Fifth Doctor's regeneration sequence from the Caves of Androzani. All right, so here's a real a saucy one that actually brought a bit of emotion in me. Oh. The scene with John Barrowman was originally written for Mark Gatiss. But when what? Pe- yeah, all right. Listen, but when Peter Davison heard that John Barrowman was upset he wasn't going to be included in the 50th, he rewrote the scene for Barrowman instead. So I assume Mark Gatiss was on board at this point? I don't know. Uh, I don't really care. <laughs> I'm just more like, it made me re-mad that they didn't have Captain Jack in the 50th. And then it made me really appreciative of Peter Davison for making room for John Barrowman uh, in this. Yeah, that's really cool. And honestly, it's not even so much that he's not in the 50th, but the way the show has continued to ignore him, even with a plot line involving a new immortal. Yeah, that's very strange. He should be in the show. And also, the, the guy is doing an amazing job of staying looking young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how much longer do we have for, of that? I guess, who knows? He's what? He's like in his 50s right now, isn't he? Something uh, physics-defying. <laughs> All right, now finally, the undergallery. The end of the film leaves open the interpretation that in reality, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, and Sylvester McCoy all appeared in the 50th uncredited, hidden under sheets in one shot. So as far as I can tell, this has never been confirmed, and Colin Baker has made other comments about not being involved in the 50th. I want to believe very badly (laughs) that they are in there, but most likely the evidence points to that not being the case. I think so. With both our comic relief stories discussed, it's time for a dilemma. Now you have got to make a choice. So, Benrick Lamar, between these two enjoyable, snackable, lovable bites of comedy delight, which do you choose? I do really like Curse of Fatal Death, but I'm going to go with The Five-ish Doctors. I probably wouldn't have expected this a few years ago when I saw Curse of the Fatal Death for the first time, but I'm going to make the same choice. You know what that means. The coin, the second return of the coin. See if you can do less of a fucking horrendously embarrassing, self-harming job than you did last time. Eat my dick. All right, you ready? Yeah, I'm going to do tails. You're calling tails. Yeah, before you flip it. You were really you're getting pretty quick on that coin. Bitch. You made an improvement. Heads. Ah, son of a bitch. I win again. You win again. It's all skill. So although it's weird to call it this, you sort of have the classic. I do have the classic. We've already called it that. I know, but it's like Stephen Moffat wrote it. It's more classic than the five-ish doctors. Sure. All right, so Curse of the Fatal Death. It's got a lot of ambition. One thing that you can sort of see in the construction of it, we touched on this briefly, is that there was definitely like a list in his head of things Stephen Moffat felt like he had to accomplish in it. Had to have the master, had to have the Daleks, had to have the doctor regenerating. And I think that was important because I think this was going to be, and was, this was an island of Doctor Who. This was a, a bite of Doctor Who that you were only going to get for a period of years on either side. <laughs> yeah. For quite a few years on one side as well. And it does do a pretty good job of scratching two itches at the same time. It's funny. It feels like Doctor Who. It parodies Doctor Who. And with reasonable success in that balance. And I think that is a difficult achievement and something that is 
more difficult to achieve than what the Five-ish Doctors reboot does, which is realistically a very, very entertaining, endless parade of cameos. <laughs> yeah, that is an intriguing argument. I mean, it really is about what they were striving to be. You know, uh, Curse of Fatal Death is striving to be a Doctor Who episode, and I think it does succeed in a lot of ways. The Five-ish Doctors reboot, at no point is it attempting to be an episode of Doctor Who. It's, like you said, it's closer to extras than it is to, to Doctor Who. Absolutely. What makes me choose it more is that it's got so much fan service in it that if it were attempting to be Doctor Who, it would almost be detrimental. You look at like the actual 50th anniversary, it's like there's a lot of references to the years in that, but they're all delivered so lightly in a way that it doesn't take you out. If this was an actual episode of Doctor Who, it would take you out, but that's not what this is. It's, it's literally, as they say, For the fans. Of course. For the fans. Right. For the fans. Yeah, it's for the fans. They say in a moment that's to, to bolster their ego. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I agree with what you're saying. And I, I think what you're saying is why I, I chose it is because ultimately it's more entertaining, which some of it has to do with age. The sensibility is more modern. I think you can see the development of just general senses of humor in Five-ish Doctors quite plainly, even just with the very intro where the aghast look on Peter Davison's face as he's wearing this Christmas cracker as an old man, that's a much more current sense of humor than what's on display in Curse of the Fatal Death. I'm my curse, the Curse of Fatal Death, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is still representing, even though it's in the 90s, a more camp sensibility. So speaking of that real quick, I just want to interject and say, that like scene has like affected me in a weird way where like now a lot of times if I'm watching a premiere of a new episode of Doctor Who, I think about like Peter Davison or Colin Baker in their homes watching it with their family. <laughs> and that like brings joy to me, the idea that they still watch the show. Yeah, and I think that's very fun. But I still think it's hard to say that what is accomplished in the Five-ish Doctors is as significant or challenging as an achievement as what is accomplished in, in The Curse of Fatal Death. They both have good narratives. Actually, they both have their own narratives that, you know, have a story, they have goals, they resolve. But I think one manages to serve multiple masters in a way that it really needed to, in a way that was much more sophisticated. And I think it was something where, you know, in the wilderness years, they were trying to hold a fandom together in the dark <laughs> with crappy novels and uh, audio visuals without licenses. I understand where you're coming from with that. Uh, I also think, like, maybe it's not. I don't really know. I'm not a part of this Doctor Who family as much as I, I wish I was. Uh -huh. It feels like such an accomplishment just to bring all those people together and make make it feel like no one was left out. I don't think it was so much because I think it's a lot of people who did literally want to be in the 50th yeah. and couldn't be and therefore got to be in this other thing. <laughs> I think the only person who it was hard to get was Tom Baker and... He didn't. <laughs> <laughs> he was in the he, 50th. He would not, yeah, he wouldn't go into the five-ish doctors because he got to be in the 50th. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so the way I see it is like, you have to compare them by, there are two things I think that they both strive to do similarly. Okay. Uh, one is be funny. Okay. I'm not going to say that the curse of fatal death is not funny. Yeah. There are still jokes that I watch it and I laugh out loud I, I thought it was hilarious the first time I watched it. I do laugh out loud more with 
five-ish doctors, but I feel like it's because I have an attachment to these characters that aren't real, but, you know, they're they're kind of our... Yeah. Sylvester McCoy is not real, <laughs> but I still love him. Yeah, he he he's a hologram. Yeah. It was a weird choice. They just decided not to cast a doctor that time. Every time. <laughs> oh, so they're all holograms. I'm a hologram earther. What? I believe the earth is a hologram. Oh, okay. Go, proceed. <laughs> Uh, but then the other thing is to do sort of a, a parade of, of stars for for the wow factor. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there there are some, yeah, I mean, like Hugh Grant, that's a, I mean, especially at the time, that's a big fucking star. Yes, absolutely. I don't know if there's anybody quite on that level in this. I guess Ian McKellen. Ian, Ian McKellen, McKellen is yeah. Hugh Grant level. I think in terms of surprise celebrities, if we're going to make a direct comparison, The Curse of Fatal Death probably would win there just because the only real surprise celebrity is Ian McKellen and Jim Broadbent, Richard E. Grant, Joanna Lumley. Those are all big names, a lot of whom were even significantly more famous at the time of the release. And you would have absolutely no fucking reason to expect they were going to appear in the thing. So it would have been like just a cascade of what the fucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, especially because they're all being told in watching this that they are all canonically the, the doctor. <laughs> yeah, you're the doctor now. I'm the doctor now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, that it's fair to say Curse of the Fatal Death has the bigger stars. Obviously, Five-ish Doctors has more stars. And uh, it has more Doctor Who characters. <laughs> you don't want to call them stars? You, you were the one who just said Colin Baker isn't even a celebrity. <laughs> And now we're talking about actual <laughs> stars. I mean, Rowan Atkinson is also, we didn't even mention him. Yeah. He's an he's, icon. He's Mr. Bean. He's Mr. fucking Bean. That's he how Americans the, know him. He was in the Olympic ceremony. Was he? The opening ceremony, yeah. As Mr. Bean? Why would they do that? What else do they have? <laughs> <laughs> They've got hundreds of years of pop culture. Mr. Bean's like a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> When it comes to humor, you know, I, I find myself wanting to watch Five-ish Doctors a lot more often. I'm inclined to agree. I can't help but feel like there's an element of unfairness to the comparison just because of the age. Because, like, even just a few years ago, the first time I saw Curse of the Fatal Death, I thought it was funnier than it was now. I already thought it was, like, a little bit aged. But I feel like just even in the last few years, it feel like it's aging even more. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I'm sure it was really, really funny when it came out. And... I don't know if the five-ish doctors is going to age better or worse, but I would still oh, like on the whole say, yeah, I would give five-ish doctors an edge on humor. Ah, it's even hard to say. I want to say five-ish doctors has an easier road to humor because it relies so much on here's a new cameo. Here's a new cameo. Here's a new cameo. You know, here's a new check from the doctor who bank written every five seconds. But the curse of fatal death is here's a new fart every five seconds. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would say give the slight edge to Five-ish Doctors. So usually when we do one of these dilemmas, we, we start to break down towards the end eventually about like who's got the better doctor, who's got the better companion. Obviously, you can't do companions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's really hard to do doctors. Doctors is a totally weird comparison. But like on one hand, like a, Colin Baker especially in uh-huh. Five-ish Doctors, he definitely seems like he's playing six more than he's playing Colin Baker. I don't know, dude. Those lines are blurry. <laughs> That yeah, that could very uh, I think very six, well be six and Colin Baker maybe the same man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
so so you just got to go with like character. Stephen Moffat did a dec- uh, a really good job of like making Rowan Atkinson feel like he stepped naturally into the role of the Doctor. He obviously gives a good performance. I mean, obviously there's a gap somewhere between Paul McGann and uh, and Rowan Atkinson. Did did the War Doctor even happen in this universe? Who knows? Who fucking who gives I, a shit? Well, there's no time war. <laughs> Well, we never, they never specifically say that. Well, I mean, they say there's the ninth doctor and the Daleks are all around. And I, I think it's that's a fair point. Nine, nine wasn't surprised by Daleks. Yeah. This is a, this, this is, is a, a dumb, dumb discussion. discussion. <laughs> this is right, like bottom three for us. <laughs> Was there the time war and the curse of fatal death? <laughs> well, because around that time they were doing the novels and they had their own kind of war thing. Yeah, this is getting dumber by the second. <laughs> I'll move. I'll move away from it. Okay. While I think that all the doctors were really well written in uh, *Curse of Fatal Death*, it's really hard to say that like you don't get more out of Peter Davis and Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy in this. So I want to reframe your point, but I'm going to reframe it in a way that you're still going to win. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think you're kind of wrong. I think the doctors are really good in *The Curse of Fatal Death*, and I think part of why you're making a, uh, an inaccurate comparison is because of the structure of the story where you spend all the five-ish doctors, you spend 30 minutes with three people and it's three people you know already very, very well. And you're playing off jokes that are already pre-established in them as people. So of course it feels like those characters are better because they're entrenched. And so you're, you're making jokes where the setup's already pre-written and you just need to write the punchline. And I think the characters in terms of the doctor and the companion are really very good in The Curse of Fatal Death. You know, you look at what we talked about with the Jim Broadbent's Doctor, that was really well executed. However, I've never liked the depiction of the Master in The Curse of Fatal Death. Is it because he's so inept? He's totally inept. He's totally campy. I don't really think he feels like the Master. He's got a beard. He's got a beard. But do you know what I mean? Like, I don't really think he captures any mastery qualities. But I, yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. I mean, we certainly never talk about him when we talk about master versus master. Like Rowan Atkinson, you could somehow push into a discussion about who's your favorite doctor. If you were going to pull somebody out of there, he's, he's probably the most believable doctor from the, the thing. And it might just be that we get the most time with him. That's probably it. But I think also just that he doesn't, you know, he gives such an understated performance. Like Richard E. Grant, I think the mere lick and then dying so fast. <laughs> It's they like all die pretty much. fast. Yeah. And then there's a woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stephen Moffat's very first attempt to to move that into a canon idea. I think at the end of the day, what it comes down to with this theme is things that are made to appeal to us as the fans. And I think that uh, Curse of Fatal Death has a lot of staying power, mostly because Stephen Moffat's name is attached to it. And obviously that's become a huge thing. He's possibly the most influential writer on the show ever. But if he wasn't there, I mean, we would still check this out because we're fucking nerds. But <laughs> would it be as as big of a deal as the five-ish doctors? I mean, yes, I think so. I think you have a short film where the doctor regenerates. Like, it basically is like, look at this short they made that supposedly like almost completes the show in the middle of the 90s. Yeah, but I mean, like, I think Stephen Moffat was the only person involved in that who was like, this is canon. <laughs> you know what I mean? I definitely don't think anyone else took it that seriously, but I think it would have, uh, it would still stand out also for the production value. You know, you look at any of the other short films, this looks way better. And it's funny that that's because fans lent 
shit to the show. I did. That's a that's a really mind boggling piece of trivia that that made it look so much better. But <laughs> yeah. just like the number of set pieces and stuff, it looks miles ahead of any of the the other shorts. It really does. Uh, I I mean, it's hard to say the same thing about Five-ish Doctors. It, it they're literally on the set of the 50th anniversary, <laughs> which you know obviously had a huge budget thrown at it. Yeah. So it's like the Daleks that are in it look good because they're they're Daleks. Yes. Yeah. So you. you talked about like the scale of the thing and it's like yeah the actual scale of the production of the curse of fatal death is pretty big it it feels better than a classic episode but you're comparing that to like the closest thing you have that to compare that to in five-ish doctors reboot is the scale of concept and basically this is trying to basically say Sylvester McCoy, Colin Baker, and Peter Davison were actually in the 50th anniversary. <laughs> so much so that, you know, we both admit that we watch it and want to believe. Like, that's so much bigger. Well, I think that's a very indirect comparison. The more apt comparison would be like the literal scale of the story, like going from, you know, New Zealand to Studio Center to where they're filming the 50th. Like, there is an actual scale of the story there that's sure. also pretty good. But if you want to talk about concepts, then I think it's more about comparing, say, going back in time to bribe the architect over and over to the idea that Sylvester McCoy and Colin Baker <laughs> are in the 50th. And while I think the the gag about bribing the architect is really funny and is probably the standout joke and gag and, and concept. It is what you think about it's when what you think, I think back about, on this. Certainly, yeah. I think you're right. I think... The idea that somewhere in the 50th, just maybe, just maybe, three other doctors are hiding under shrouds <laughs> is a real awesome mindfuck. And that, that's a, a real accomplishment. And when we're looking at two things that are pretty close and uh, we've got a, a dilemma that otherwise is pretty even, I'd be willing to say that pushes it over the edge and five-ish doctors is, is, is better. And I, I can't be sad to say it because it, it does bring me a lot of joy watching it. It's so good. It's a good-ish. Oh, I see what you did there. It's actually just good. It has a weird title. Yeah, I, th- I, I do like it. The reboot part is weird. Yeah, I, I think it's get... just because they're rebooting the five-ish Doctors, the episode, supposedly, but sure. not really. I don't know. I should have said that earlier. That it has a weird title? Curses. Well, we couldn't even remember the title of Curse <laughs> of Fatal Death forever. It's, it's, it's better, though. <laughs> and so our dilemma draws to a close, but don't turn off your phone or computer or electronic listening device sex robot whatever you're doing oh yeah does it just whisper in your ear while you fuck it yeah don't stop fucking yet because we've got a bonus not from big finish but it does involve nicholas briggs it's the corridor sketch the busy world of television oh, oh. where's the designer um Say mine. This satirical sketch follows a reporter filming a behind-the-scenes for a new BBC sci-fi series called Doc True. Hijinks and Sue as the production team readies itself to mount the pilot, which goes off with a bang. Literally. So, the corridor sketch, what do you think? Well, before we get to our opinions, which I have a feeling will converge quite nicely, do you have any background information for us? So this was a production made by Real Time Pictures in 1991. Uh, it's it's sort of a fun comedy sketch poking uh, at the the actual day, the first day of production on an unearthly child. And it was made as a sort of special features for one of the DVDs. This is on YouTube if you want to watch it. 
I don't know the legitimacy of its status on YouTube. (laughs) If you do want a legitimate way to watch it, I'll tell you how to do that in trivia. Great. But yeah, it's a little, it's a, you know, five and a half minute long sketch. And as uh, Fenrick said, it talks about, uh, so let's get right into this. It's sort of, but doesn't outright admit it's about Doctor Who. I mean, it definitely is. Yes. But it's like, it's avoiding saying it, which I don't understand why they bothered to do that because... That was the decision... It's on a DVD for Doctor Who. That bothered me most about it because right away towards the beginning, Nicholas Briggs, who is playing the news host type character in it, which by the way, it's sort of surreal to see this young but equally bald Nicholas Briggs. (laughs) Looks like the Riddler at Mr. Freeze bouncing around. So he approaches two characters who are clearly... Sidney Newman and Verity Lambert. Right. And says... Ah, two people who could be said to be the creative power behind the program. Head of drama, Sidney Newbaum, and producer, Verity Lambeth. Bert. Uh, sorry, uh, Bert Lambeth. But it's so confusing because, you know, they don't correct Newbaum. And like you said, it's not Doctor Who, it's Doctor... It's Doc True. Doc True. It created this very confused atmosphere to me where I was like, is this a Doctor Who knockoff or is this actually supposed to be Doctor Who? I got the same exact feeling. I had to watch it three times before I figured out what the fuck was going on there with Verity Lambert's name. Yeah. Uh, Let me just say this. I don't think many of the jokes in this land. That's fair to say. (laughs) Really, since they do basically comedically the equivalent of like taking something and driving it into the ground in an attempt to make it land. Perhaps the best example of this is also perhaps the worst joke in the entire thing on some levels. It's not actually the worst, but most offensive, certainly we'll say. At a certain point, a man with a tray covered with an indiscernible black pile walks up and then Nicholas Briggs says, Ah, Gatto from the Black Forest, I suppose. Uh, No, Elephant from the Blue Peter Studios. The idea being Nicholas Briggs has just taken a bite of elephant shit. (laughs) Yep, our our second example tonight of people physically eating shit. Yes. And as if that weren't enough, the two of them then turn immediately to the camera and go, There's a lot of weird mugging in this. And not only do they mug together... Then Nicholas Briggs takes it upon himself to double mug, doing a weird eye waggle left and right. (laughs) He's like, I've got to do a a double layer mug. That joke was so audacious because it it really takes balls to create a joke about a guy eating shit that requires creating a character you've never seen before, walking from a show that was completely unrelated, holding an elephant that had never been mentioned on... And he for some reason had his shit on a silver tray, not in a bag, not in any kind of trash receptacle, and then walking into the show for no reason. And as we'll learn in trivia, that man from that show is totally anachronistic as well. Wonderful. (laughs) That was a real stretch. It's not the least funny thing by far. Well, let me tell you the part that really weirded me out. I know it's some kind of pop culture reference, and I'm sure British people get it. At one point, somebody says... Quick, that's my swamp monster! Yes, well, it's a cracker, Jack. And then the entire studio just suddenly gets in front of the camera real quick, looks at it, and yells, Cracker, Jack! I think it was a pun. <laughs> okay. Because, you know, what happens is that, like, a, that woman trips on the swamp monster mask, and she goes, that's a cracker, Jack. 
as in like, you know, that was a real cracker, like a real uh, well done mask as in being sarcastic. And then that's a cracker jack. Like they discovered a pun was said. And then they're just like, mug. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I would, like I said, I watched this three times. I didn't ever figure any of that out. It's very baffling. <laughs> but it does not, to me, set the high watermark for baffling. <laughs> that comes when Nicholas Briggs inspecting a model that uh, the art director seemingly has made. And he picks up what is a small bottle that's seemingly either used to construct the city or some part of the city and says, And no prizes for guessing what this inspired. <laughs> and is this a joke about huffing glue? That's what I thought. Uh, but then like, uh, that's what I thought the first time. And then the second and third times I thought, is it a Dalek? Like, I didn't get it. I didn't or understand a, what was happening. Is it a baby bottle? Or is it supposed to be alcohol? Whatever happens, afterwards, the art director flips out and says, I was in the BBC canteen one day when I was inspired, not by this, but by the Quatermass spaceship. Rips a sheet off the wall. Somebody swears. And then somebody runs in and says something. People start running the fuck away. Yeah, I, I was confused. What I thought was happening was that they were revealing a sketch of the Quartermass Experiment spaceship, and then it happened to look exactly like a Dalek turned sideways. But then I googled Quartermass Experiment spaceship, and it looks nothing like a Dalek. So I, I don't I have, I don't have the first clue. The Dalek must have been on top because the Dalek we'd seen earlier. All I, I could think <laughs> is that it was like a, sp- a spoiler. Like they were freaking out because he had shown a spoiler. I I, I don't know the. But first. I think the guy calls him a cunt. What? The bleep, because there's a bleep. Where's there a bleep? I'm pretty sure. But drop the clip here. Maybe I'm wrong. But I think right after he goes, no, it's a blah, blah, blah. And then he rips off the sheet. He goes, oh, you cunt, I think. You f***ing <laughs> cunt. <laughs> and it gets bleeped. I must have missed that. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? All right. Let me, uh, let me take it one step further of baffling. William Hartnell is a character in this. Yeah. Strangely, when you look at the casting of this, his character is called William Hartnell. There's no nice. you know, weird change to his name. Uh-huh. But he's played by like a young guy yeah, who I think gets a, a wig put on him. He's in a competition with Ian to see who can be worst cast. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone else looks sort of roughly in the ballpark, kind of like the right person. Mm-hmm. And then the doctor and Ian are just so wrong. Yeah. Ian looks like just like a fat guy. It's so weird. And then... I noticed that they specifically, they call Barbara. And Barbara, the rather dull history teacher. Evening. That's a, an interesting and bizarre slam. Well, like kind of a weird way to shit on that character, Loki. So uh, we never really talked about general impressions. You probably got a good sense <laughs> of it. But what was your overall, like, how were you just hit by this thing? Like, okay, we're, we're reviewers, essentially. Uh-huh. So I'm going to just go ahead and say... We're serious, educated, academic critics who talk a lot about semen. I would not recommend watching the <laughs> Corridor sketch. I, I'm sure you have better things to do for five minutes yeah, of your time. Yeah, that's a pretty strong condemnation for something that's like a, a hot five minutes and 45 seconds long. I don't know if there's a single thing that I laughed at. There, there, okay, there's one semi-funny part. Sydney Newbaum... Says uh, Sidney Newman's famous line about there won't be any bug-eyed monsters. A second later, a Dalek rolls by. So that's funny. Yeah, it's weird because this thing is supposed to be a, or I think not, it's, not, it's not supposed to be, but I think what it holds any value in is a bizarre 
time capsule of this odd moment of reflecting back on Doctor Who. And it's a really weird moment that they did it because they chose this moment in one of the bleaker bits of the wilderness years to, it's not shitting on the show, but to just kind of look back and be like, yeah, it's over almost. You know what I mean? Like it's (laughs) odd that this was created then. The one thing that's of worth in a way, and we haven't talked about it yet, is that there's a, a cameo by Nicholas Courtney. Yeah, so he introduces him as the head of the BBC, and he comes out in profile. Yeah. And at first, I didn't recognize him. See, I, I saw him, and I was like, is that fucking Nicholas Courtney? Because I was expecting this to be like a cameo-filled thing, and there's really not. Yeah. And then Gary suddenly, Russell is in it. I saw Gary Russell, and that, you know, Nicholas uh, Briggs, obviously. But I was kind of like waiting for some more stuff to happen. And then suddenly, <laughs> towards the very end... I'm like, oh shit, it's Nicholas Courtney. Yeah. And that's a, that's a decent joke. It was a decent joke. Although, again, it felt so weird that they chose to do that during the period when the show was dead. So, Horace, how long do you think this new series will last? Oh, I'd give it about 26 years, one week and six days. Yeah. To be like, this is exactly how long the show will run and then it will die. Of course, they turned out it was wrong. Yeah. And he died. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> take that <laughs> take, <laughs> take that person i love <laughs> but i think in, in uh some ways this is one of the only pieces of doctor who media that you can compare to dimensions in time <laughs> <laughs> wow you know it's, it's not a nice thing to say to anybody no it's not but it's got the same kind of like collection of faces internally aimless fan porn fever dream quality to it yeah that's true But it's less worth your time. (laughs) So you'd say, go watch Dimensions in Time instead. Yeah, watch that for the fourth or fifth time. (laughs) I would generally say you should check out Dimensions in Time once. As somebody who's a a huge fan of Doctor Who curios, I would still say don't bother with the corridor sketch. Yeah. Even at five minutes and 45 seconds. I agree. I think finally to wrap up this whole discussion... Mary fuck, kill, curse of the fatal death, the five-ish doctors reboot, and the corridor sketch. <laughs> uh, I would... Uh, Let's not make I would, any bones about this. We're both killing the corridor sketch. Yes, yeah. I would marry five-ish doctors reboot. Because all in all, uh, curse of fatal death is sexier. <laughs> you got Hugh Grant. You got Richard E. Grant. You got the Grants. You got breasts. See, this is why uh, you make poor life decisions because so i'm marrying curse the fatal death and then i get to fuck it all the time yeah but it's like you're stuck fucking old give ass it, give Colin it like Baker. 15 years and then the sex stops and then they start to resent you and so, so you want to have a three-way with current peter davison colin baker and sylvester mccoy for 15 years yeah <laughs> all right we've made our choices <laughs> <laughs> now that we've discussed the corridor sketch we'll move on to trivia The joke about an elephant from Blue Peter Studios refers to an incident in 1969 where an elephant named Lulu rampaged the set of the talk show while filming. She apparently shit everywhere, (laughs) urinated on the equipment, and rammed her handler and the presenters offstage, dragging the handler through the shit. I was really hoping you were going to say, killing them both. Well, I think I think when I say presenters, there, I think there's more than one. I've never watched Blue Peter, but I think I assume it's one of those shows where there's like two people that talk. Blue and Peter. Blue and Peter. Yeah. yeah. It is. A, what? Is, what the fuck does that title mean? I don't know. We're we're out of our element. 
According to this sketch, it takes place on August 9th, 1963. However, the real Unearthly Child production began on August 20th. Ooh. Tasty. Saucy. You can Saucy. see you can Who see gives a shit the, trivia? the quality of trivia that was available for this. <laughs> this sketch was included as a bonus feature on the DVD box set The Beginning, which includes the first three stories, that being Unearthly Child, The Daleks, and Edge of Destruction. And so was it commissioned for that DVD? Yes. Yeah, it was produced for the DVD. So there was a reason behind it. How disappointed do you think the people who commissioned it were when they got it back? Uh, well, I, they can't have been that mad because they also got three other sketches that were created by Mark Gatiss and David Walliams. Okay, that's is that including the one where they kidnap I believe so. And that's the only one of theirs that I've seen. And that's funny. So there you go, Mark. I gave you a compliment. Yeah, by saying that, you kind of take it away. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That brings us to the end of another episode of The Twin Dilemma. This week, the Five-ish Doctors reboot takes it over the curse of fatal death in a battle of who is the funniest comic relief. I have been Fenric Lamar. And I have been Edward Grove. And we hope that you take this advice. Go watch these funny stories, except for the last one. Yeah. Have a nice little chuckle. I agree with all of that, except hopefully inverse order that you, you watched them already before listening to the podcast. Yeah. Otherwise, you probably ruined a lot of the jokes. A, a lot of the jokes. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Or maybe not. If we've ruined the jokes, maybe you're gone forever. If you hate us, let us know. We want to know why you, you stop listening. Yeah. Send us hate mail. Or keep that shit to yourself, asshole. (laughs) Better yet, go fucking drown. Yeah. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Forever, you drowned bitch. Tune in next week when our theme is Dreamland. Small finish. We love dumb shit.